yeah, it was it was not a fun time the last time I was in the Dean Dome. Place is surprisingly kind of a dump. Um, Damn. In a good way? No, it's like... Look, how could that be in a good way? It, it, it's one of those... How like could a it's, dump be in a good way? It's one of those... That... Hey guys, it's Terrence Nan. You're listening to Hear the Spear presented by No Game Day. Go Nose. Hey, what's up? This is Peter Ward, a.k.a. Hi, this is Charlie Ward, and you're listening to Hear the Spear, Go Nose. This is Terrell Fuckley. You're listening to Hear the Spear, presented by No Game Day. No bloody. But perhaps better known as the greatest corner to ever step on a football field, Dion Primetime Sanders. Great Dion Sanders, my brother. What's going on, man? I, I could wake up to that greedy every day, man. That was awesome. Hello, those fans. This is former Seminole Derek Brooks, and you're listening to Here's the Spear, presented to you by No Game Day. James Wilder, Jr. What's going on, James? Thanks for having me on. SSOD, Florida State or Die, and go Nose. William Barnon Floyd. Gentlemen, what's up? What's happening, guys? This is Logan Robinson from Hit the Spear, presented to you by NoGameDay.com. We're here live on a wonderful, fantastic Wednesday evening, and it is ACC Championship Weekend. The Florida State Seminoles will be facing off against the Louisville Cardinals, and there's even more on the line. A Florida State win should boost the Seminoles and continuing to stay in that college football playoff bracket for the first time since 2014. So we've got quite a bit to discuss tonight. Also, given our last thoughts on Florida State versus Florida, and we're also going to have some basketball at the very end, and uh, we'll have our score predictions for Florida State and Louisville at the very end as well. But with us this evening to give us some scoop and give us some intel on the Louisville side, our friend friend over uh, at the site of I'm over here U of L Report. We've got Matt McGavick. He's going to be joining us, deputy editor for them. Our friends over there on Fan Nation Sports Illustrated to give us some scoop. How are you doing, Matt? Doing good. Uh, thanks for the invite. And once again, sorry for uh, all the background noise. But, you know, crossover season, it, it, it doesn't care what your schedules are like. If there's a game, there's a game. So, you know, you got to do what you got to do. <laughs> Absolutely. We won't keep you on here for too long, but let's get right into it. Florida State, big time matchup for you guys on y'all's side. Can you just take us through a, just a quick brief run of y'all's season? Did you ever have this kind of expectation for Louisville to reach it to Charlotte? There, there was some discussion of it in the preseason just because one of the biggest talking points over the offseason was that out of all the teams in the ACC, Louisville had arguably the easiest path to potential get to the ACC championship. They didn't have to face Clemson, which, you know, may or may not have been a bad thing in hindsight. Didn't have to face Florida State, didn't have to face North Carolina. So the three toughest teams in the ACC, they didn't have to face, and but they did have to face what was perceived to be the bottom four teams in the ACC. So there were there were some there were some expectations heading into there having like maybe an eight and four or a nine and three campaign in year one under Jeff Brom. But if things broke the right way, there was some optimism that they could get that and back into Charlotte. And that's what we ended up seeing. And this was a team that, as it's currently constructed, realized its its maximum potential, and that is ending the season in Charlotte trying to compete for an ACC title. Now whether they actually come home from Charlotte with an ACC title. That's going to be a little bit more difficult, obviously. 
But just getting to the ACC title is a, is a huge accomplishment for year one of the Jeff Brom era. You kind of talked about it. It's been 10 years now since Louisville joined the ACC, and this is their first chance to go up to Charlotte and play for this conference championship. Just how big of a moment is it for th this Louisville program, you know, to get a chance like this on the national stage with all that they've done in the past, obviously? Oh, it's huge. Just, I mean, for the first nine or ten years they were in the league when it was in the division format, I mean, they kind of were playing second fiddle to Florida State and Clemson in the Atlantic division. I mean, they were always like that second tier, like behind them, but they can never really quite consistently get over the hump of those two teams who were pretty much the best teams in the ACC. And now that they're under the divisionless format and they've had a chance to, you know, get there, it's a huge accomplishment just because Louisville's never been to a conference title game before. They haven't won a conference title since 2012. I think that was their last time once they – I think they were the coast split that year when they were in the Big East. Just because, since you know, conference championship games didn't really become a thing until the 90s, early 2000s. And before then, they were in – Louisville was an independent for the longest time, so it's not like they had the opportunity to compete for one. So it's it's a momentous occasion for the program simply because they they really haven't been there before. They've never been in this situation. They haven't been like really in the mix to compete for a conference title ever since the Charlie Strong days. Because even in the Lamar Jackson Heisman year, they petered out towards the stretch uh, down the stretch of the season. They lose to Houston, lose to Kentucky. They don't even make ten wins and they go to the Citrus Bowl. So being in this position is is a huge step forward for the program. Hey, still as many conference title appearances as Miami, and you've been here a decade less. Um, Jawar Jordan seems to be the driving engine for this offense. What have you seen from him this season? What's leading him to success? And the games that Louisville has struggled, it seems he's struggled. What's happened in those games? Well, he was already a really fast running back coming into the season because we saw ever since he transferred from Syracuse that, like, his calling card was his speed and he was doubling as a punt returner and a kick returner. And if you're doing that, you've got some wheels. But in terms heading into this season, it was evident that he worked a lot on his overall explosiveness, his burst, his acceleration, being able to get to that top gear even quicker. But the thing is, for the last several games, he's been dealing with a hamstring injury and a reason why that Louisville's offense hasn't reached its full potential ever since their bye week is because he, he's lost a step. Unfortunately, you can tell that his explosiveness is not there like it was in the first half of the season. I mean, he, he played the first series against Pitt, he took two carries for eight yards and then couldn't go the rest of the way. And then we saw what ended up happening in that game and Louisville commits some mistakes in the second half and end up losing by, I think it was three scores. So, but fortunately, they've had um, some other developments at running back like Isaac Garendo, the Wisconsin transfer. He's really stepped up in the last few weeks, and they've really needed it just because during that same time, the defense has kind of taken a little bit of a step back. But Jaws is starting to get back to his completely healthy form. He, he's starting to be used more like in between the tackles and not as like, you know, trying to stretch outside runs and utilize his speed because even though he's a five nine back, he's still you know, pretty physical. I mean, is he Bo Jackson? No, but he, he doesn't mind taking contact and delivering it when he can. So he, he's been contributing to this offense as much as he can, given his current injury situation. You mentioned. Matt, I want to uh, talk. 
Oh, go ahead, Logan. I was just going to say, I wanted to start the conversation, too, your quarterback with Jack Plummer. What have you seen? What have you liked the most out of him throughout the season? What do you think, just going into this game specifically, he's going to have to do to be able to manage against Florida State's defense that has done a great job in the second half with uh, Justin and Adam Fuller has done a good job this season overall. Um, but what, what, what are your thoughts on, on Jack Plummer coming into this game? Well, 80% of the time, he's exactly what the coaches want, want him to be. He's like the game manager archetype of quarterback. He's not going to be necessarily the guy who is the reason that you win games, but he's not going to be the guy that you, you lose games. Like he's a sound decision maker. He more often than not makes good decisions with the football, keeps the offense on schedule, won't take too many unnecessary risks. Occasionally we'll like mix in a deep ball every now and then, but only when it's either really open or the game, the play call really calls for it. So I would say 80% of the time he's kind of fit this mold and he's kind of run Jeff Brom's offense, how the coaching staff wants it to be run. Now I say 80% because another 20% he has looked not great. I know early in the season, he struggled a lot with intentional grounding penalties there have been times where he's unintentionally just kind of walked into a, into a sack or his pocket awareness isn't what you would expect from a sixth-year senior. And then two of the the, the two losses in the, uh, on Louisville's season has been attributed to turnovers, and most of them have come from Plumber. Uh, in the pit game, he had a fumble and an interception, both inside the 25-yard line. And then what kind of kicked off the rally for Kentucky in the previous game was uh, back-to-back fumbles, one from Jawar Jordan and then one from Jack Plummer. So that other 20% is kind of inexplicable boneheaded decisions that you just don't expect from a six-year senior. So if, if Louisville has a shot to you know pull off the upset, one of the key factors is Jack Plummer can't have these boneheaded mistakes. He's going to play like you expect a six-year senior to play, He's going to take care of the football, whether that means like, you know, making smart decisions or just holding on to it or knowing when to get rid of it. And that's, it's, you really don't know which Jack Plummer is going to show up because not only does it kind of vary from game to game, sometimes it even varies from quarter to quarter. There have been times where Jack Plummer looks awful in the first half, but then he comes back and looks great in the second half or vice versa. So it's when you get peak Jack Plummer, he's some, He's someone that the coaching staff can rely on to, at the minimum, keep the offense on schedule and keep the ball moving down the field. Maybe not at an explosive pace, but at a pace where it's going to continuously like put them on schedule. You mentioned uh, the defensive struggles earlier, and you know Louisville, <clears throat> at least statistically, one of the top defenses in the country coming into this game. But the last two weeks have allowed 31 and 38 points. So I guess what's what's been the difference these last two weeks compared to maybe the first 10? Oh, during the first nine, 10 weeks of the season, uh, I mean, we know Jeff Brown, his identity as a head coach is just points, 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 and then more points. But the identity of this team in his first year has honestly been the defense just because this is a defense where it plays excellent complementary football, whether it be against the pass or against the run. But they had, they had been specializing against the run. They were a team where it's a kind of a scheme that this four four two five from Ron English that relies a lot on the defensive linemen to win their one on one battles and kind of set the tone from there and have the guys behind them kind of read and react. And through two thirds of the season plus. The defensive linemen have been winning their battles up front with, you know, semi-regularity, 
And then the guys behind them, whether they be linebackers or some safeties kind of crashing down the box, they've done a good job of kind of cleaning things up, swarming to the ball, ta- getting the tackle on the first attempt, you know, wrapping up, swarming, not arm tackling, and just having four fundamentals. And then behind them, the secondary had been good, but not great. But when you're kind of putting that much pressure on opposing quarterbacks and stifling the run as much as they had been, I mean, the difference between good and great coverage is like next to nothing. So it doesn't, it doesn't mean a whole lot. But one of the biggest developments over the last two weeks is for some reason, the, the discipline and the fundamentals and the execution in the front seven has gone completely out the window. Um, they haven't been getting pressure in the backfield with as often as they had been. They've been having, they've been letting opposing quarterbacks, you know, have a little extra time in the pocket to try and make their, their reads and kind of go through the motions. Uh, running backs, they, Google's had a tough time just wrapping up and tackling. They've been throwing at arm tackles. They've been taking poor pursuit angles, trying to get to guys to even, you know, have a tackle attempt. And then on the back end in the secondary, it, it, it's gone from good so where it'll be like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, it'll have good coverage for a second, and then it'll get to like third down or later in the drive, and there is a blatant miscommunication somewhere where a guy like on a wheel route or in the middle of the field is wide open, and there's confusion as to like whose man whose man was this, what zone were you reading, and I, it's it's hard to tell if it's something that's going on with the coaching staff and if there's like some sort of miscommunication between them and the players or if the players aren't executing what the staff is wanting to wanting to run mm-hmm. like not as not nearly as much as they had been the first part of the season but it's not an all systems failure it's an all systems step back for the last few, for the last uh, few weeks so it's going to be imperative that they you know start you know, getting back into the backfield like they had been with regularity. Otherwise, I mean, if they get down early and they allow whoever's going to be a quarterback for Florida State to get comfortable, it might be curtains by the time the second quarter gets here. I was going to ask just one more. I know you have a just a couple more minutes with us, Matt. Uh, but real quick, what is a matchup that you're going to be eyeing on Saturday night that maybe stands out to you where Louisville is going to have to bring their best unit out against Florida State's? Something that's actually appeared that's been a positive development in the last few weeks is that Louisville has been utilizing their tight ends a lot more. Heading into the season, when you look at the roster and you break it down by position, okay, this position looked good, this position is great, this one is a little iffy. Arguably, the biggest question mark on the entire roster is tight end, just because it was going from Scott Satterfield's system where tight end was used almost exclusively as a blocker, and then you go to a scheme under Jeff Brown, where tight ends are almost exclusively pass catchers. I mean, we saw what guys like Payne Durham at Purdue did under his scheme. And Jeff Brown didn't really have tight ends that are, you know, molds for that scheme. So for the first two-ish months of the season, the tight end was almost a non-factor in the passing game. Now, they had been doing well as, you know, run blockers, obviously. But as far as, you know, being a factor in the passing game, nothing. But something that's appeared in the Miami and the Kentucky game is that not only have they been getting the ball to the tight end a lot more, the position as a whole has performed a lot better. Uh, Nate Kariski has been a kind of a go-to guy in passing it. Joey Gatewood's shown up in, in, in moments. He's a former a quarterback converted to tight end. 
and then a couple other guys have been kind of mixing in and out and, you know, contributing to the overall pass game. And with as, with as many guys that Florida State has on defense, they're going to have to try and exploit something or utilize something that they're not completely comfortable with, probably. And I think it's, it's going to have to come down to getting the tight ends involved and probably getting the, like, the short area involved, like the run game and whatnot, since Florida State is so good on the back end at defending the pass. If they can get something going in the middle of the field, whether that be running the ball or getting the tight ends involved or getting short passing plays involved with the wideouts, and they kind of force the Florida State defense to kind of get on their heels just a tad bit, I think that could be the difference between, you know, Louisville being competitive in this game or Florida State ending up winning this in a blowout. Kind of a similar question, but looking over at the other side of the ball, um, Louisville obviously has been very good defending the run this season. How do you think going into this matchup, they're going to try and defend the duo of Johnny Wilson and Keon Coleman on the outside? Well, they better be doing a better job than they have been defending anyone the last few weeks, that's for sure. Because, <laughs> I mean, Johnny Wilson almost single-handedly waxed Louisville last season. I mean, they – I mean, Mike Norvell made it an emphasis to just kind of pick on Jarvis Brownlee the whole time. And fortunately, Brownlee's been a, a lot better this season in coverage. But, you know, since he's facing his former squad, we'll see which Brownlee actually shows up. But it, it, it's going to be difficult just because Louisville's defensive backs aren't necessarily that tall. I mean, they're, you know, par for the course for, you know, Division One defensive backs, Power 5 defensive backs, but 6'1", 6'2", maybe 6'3", a couple guys. But, I mean, Johnny Wilson, his size is just something they really haven't seen before. They, they've seen a lot of guys who have the speed of Keon Coleman, but maybe not the ability of Keon Coleman. The closest thing I can think of is, you know, Malik Washington at UVA, and he torched them. I mean, Virginia almost came out of that game at Louisville with a win, and they had to kind of rally back in the fourth quarter to win. So when you kind of add, like, a guy who's a speedy guy with that archetype, which kind of gives Louisville fits, and then add in a guy who's basically a tight end playing out wide, it, it, it's going to be difficult. They're going to have to get on the same page. They're going to have to play um, more sound in zone coverage. I think man coverage is – I wouldn't expect them to run a lot when you see Johnny Wilson on the field just because, I mean, all you got to really do is just throw a jump ball to him. He's going to get it. They, they just have to be more disciplined and have a better game plan and probably focus more so on playing zone coverage kind of confuse whoever is going to be the quarterback from Florida State. Well, Matt, definitely got to get you out of here. You got a basketball game coming up, but uh, super appreciate you hopping on here for the time we had you and looking forward to seeing you up there in Charlotte. Should be a, a fun matchup. Nonetheless, they've been some dramatic ones for both teams uh, the last couple of weeks, just roller coaster of rides. But uh, Florida State, Louisville, it's going to be good. So I appreciate you, Matt, giving us some good insight on this team that Florida State Mike Norvell is going to be facing against on Saturday night. Yeah, appreciate you guys having me on. Hopefully I'll see you guys uh, in Charlotte, and uh, fingers crossed it doesn't rain. <laughs> yeah, 100% safe travels as well. There. Oh, yeah. And also, Dustin, you'll appreciate this. <laughs> it's a nice beanie. It's there very nice go. beanie. Got it in the garden. <laughs> Nice. Hey, Matt. Appreciate appreciate you. See you up there in Charlotte. Sweet deal. So thanks, Matt, for coming up on here with us. Awesome. They do a great job there uh, covering Louisville for the Fan Nation Sports Illustrated site. But we're here, gentlemen. It's, It's like I said at the beginning of the show, ACC Championship Weekend. 
we talked about this game all throughout the offseason, some really high expectations. We predicted Florida State to reach it to this point, but maybe not expected for it to be Louisville. But here we are. The Cardinals are going to try to face off and try to pull off a, a big-time upset to absolutely unravel the college football playoff bracket. But we'll see if Florida State stays sturdy with Tate Rodemaker. And maybe, you know, hopefully Trey Benson. We saw him get a little dinged up there. Uh, after the UF game, but still, nonetheless, Florida State's got that stable of running backs, and it's going to be fun on primetime ESPN ABC at 8 o'clock. It's going to be a good matchup. I mean, you really got good on good here. You got a, a veteran Louisville offense that can run the ball going up against a Florida State defense that has been pretty good all season and has made really good second-half adjustments. And on the flip side, a, a strong Louisville defense, one of the best in, in the country stopping the run and the Florida State offense is going to want to come in and probably try and pound the rock after what we saw them try and do in Gainesville a week ago. So two teams whose strengths are going to be going against one another on both sides of the ball and should make, make for an exciting matchup. Obviously, Florida State coming into this one, controlling their own destiny. And if you win here, you know, you're you're going to the college football playoff. There's no likely, there's no probably stamp the ticket. It's just yeah. is it New Orleans or is it Pasadena? Yeah, when in you're in, it's going to be an interesting game. I'm really looking forward to this. I'm, I'm curious to see if the offense evolves at all from what we've we saw last week. I know we'll get into it a little bit, but it seems like they held some things back. I'm 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 curious to see if they open some more things up this weekend. Most certainly, uh, it's nice to be here. It is nice. Uh, Florida State going to have. Uh, another game to add on if they can reach that 13-0 and like they did back there in 2013. It's just crazy what a decade does to turn around and now Florida State's buying and challenging for a national title. Florida State's got the talent. Uh, they did what they needed to do uh, against UF and, you know, it took a little while for Rodemaker and him to kind of find his rhythm there in the second quarter in the late area of that before halftime. Uh, but I think he saw a pretty composed QB one after also dealing with a nasty shot there too. He took the latter half of the game as well, where we saw Brock Glenn come in, look completely composed as a true freshman going through that environment. Dustin, you and I were there. I mean, that crowd is no joke. It's a, it's a loud stadium to be in. It's an annoying one as well. You're not so happy with the band continuously playing, but that's what happens when you're on the road against your rival. It's going to be a rowdy one in the swamp. It was intense, and we knew going into this one without Jordan Travis, obviously, and Tate Rodemaker really not getting a ton of reps um, outside of that game against North Alabama, you know, real, live, serious game reps. This was going to be a tough game for Florida State in the early going. I, I think Austin and I even said it, maybe you too, Logan, that that first half we thought it was going to be pretty gritty. I, I don't know if we predicted 12 nothing, kind of ugly, and then Florida State battling back there and getting that touchdown at the end of the second quarter, but – you know, regardless, it was everything that we expected. And there were some external factors, you know, Florida senior night and honoring Tim Tebow. And if they don't win this game, they're not going to a bowl. And obviously, the, the fact they're playing one of their top rivals in Florida State. So ton of emotion in that game. But I just thought it was impressive. You know, this team, whenever they're down, doesn't matter how much, they just never blink. They continue to fight back. And um, the defense tightened up in that second half there, kind of lifted the offense up, Trey Benson. Came up huge after some struggles early and just another, I already said it, but a gritty win for Florida State. And um, we'll we'll see if Tate Rodemaker is able to open things up a little bit more this weekend going up against Louisville, a team that he's obviously had success against in the past. And you got to imagine 
Um, he's got some extra confidence in him seeing this team on the schedule. Even though there's some new players, a new coach, he's done this one before. He's beat the Louisville Cardinals. I know you said it took a little while for the defense to to warm up, but shout out to Akeem Dent, man. I mean, he saved two touchdown runs there in the early going, and he, he was arguably Florida State's best defensive player until Jared Verse put on his big boy pants and started shoving off his alignment around like they were like they were a slice of bread. Um, but Akeem Dent was just incredible. I know everyone's going to remember that that flag for whatever the personal foul was, but he was just all over the field, all over the secondary, and making plays when and where he needed to. Was, I think it was his best game by far as a Seminole since he's been here and one of the best games we've seen from a defensive back since that Jalen Ramsey Miami game. I mean, he was just all over the place. And, you know, he made plays when Florida State wasn't really making a bunch of plays and, and kept Florida State in the game. Made some underrated plays, some really big open field tackles. One on, I think it was a jet sweep or something, but some open field tackles where if he doesn't make that, you're looking at a first down or a, an even bigger play. So shout out to Akeem Den, his last chance to play against UF, and he took advantage of it. He had seven total tackles, and six of them were solo. Usually with safeties, you see a bunch of assisted tackles, but six solo tackles is pretty impressive, especially for a guy that I feel like we all think of as a cover guy. Six solo tackles and a lot of those in the run game is impressive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Akeem Dent, he was ready pregame too. He, he was high whenever Florida State was leaving warm-ups, <laughs> running by the Gators. He was you know, taking advantage of his last opportunity facing UF, and I think y'all are completely right there. Both safeties played a good game. And, you know, I think Florida State, you know, we talked about during the offseason who is going to really place replace that role of having the reliability of um, Jamie Robinson. And I think Adam Fuller, you know, with having a healthy Akeem Dent, he's a guy that they're utilizing a lot and a lot of blitz packages and also out in open space because he can tackle so well. And you're right, Dustin, we were talking about up there in the press box. If he doesn't make that tackle, man, that's probably gone for six. Uh, there's just so many – times where Akeem Dent, you have to rely a ton on him uh, to, to make that one tackle, and he, he does it so. Uh, and two, like you were saying, VZ, might remember him about that flag, but I re- I'll remember as being one of the worst calls ever in football <laughs> history. Like, absolutely so pathetic. Bad. That's how I will remember it. We put it up on our Instagram earlier this week, and, you know, that's just bogus. There's a I, reason why Mike Norvell was about to lose his mind. I've never seen him that mad. <laughs> I finally got time to rewatch the game today, and I still couldn't believe the call. And we're what four game four days away from that game. It was just, it was unbelievable. It was one of those that mm-hmm. the whatever that official is that called it. The head official's like, really? <laughs> it's like he went to go mark it down. And he sees the flag. He's like, really? It's insane. Yeah, it was if terrible. Say there, Dustin. <clears throat> yeah, I was gonna say. One of the most important things you just said was a healthy Akeem Den. He struggled earlier in the season. Mm-hmm had that injury um, in the home home opener against uh, Southern Miss. But to have him back now, you know, closer to 100% than he was earlier in the year as they entered this stretch run, especially back there at that safety position where there is some inexperience, having him alongside Shaheen Brown, which, you know, we saw in this game, them playing the majority of the snaps at safety for Florida State really creates a tandem that you can do a ton of different things with because both those guys are just so versatile. Um, you talked about Austin with the Keem Den getting involved up there. He was playing in the box a ton. I mean, he blitzed. I mean, I want to say three, four, maybe even yeah. a couple. He was up there blitzing all the time. When you have both those guys in the lineup, I mean, you can just do so many different things, especially with all the talent you have at corner. They were they were sending a lot of safety blitz. I feel like we've seen them mainly do linebacker blitzes with with really Kalen Deloach. They were sending Shaheem and Akeem a lot. They must have seen something on film that they really liked with that. 
Mm-hmm. And it was affecting. We saw that throughout the game, and that's just something Adam Fuller uh, scripted very well uh, against that Florida offensive line, where he also, too, in the trenches alone, man, Braden Fisk, Fabo, mm-hmm. uh, Malcolm Ray, Joshua Farmer, they were doing exactly what we had talked about all throughout these training camps between spring and fall, absolutely disrupting and shredding through. And that just allows a lot of open areas for whenever you got Shaheem and Akeem Den coming through on a blitz. But also not to be out down, Jared Verse still had eight pressures. <laughs> like he, he was exactly. just killing them all game. Yeah. 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 And then, yeah. He's got a fired up Jared Verse and yeah. It's kind of just hurting yourself if you're just trying to tick him off. And Patrick Payton's a good running mate to have across from him. I mean, they were just taking turns, just wreaking havoc on Florida late in the game when they had to get into those passing scenarios. That's where Florida State wants to get these teams, you know, late in the game, having to throw the ball. You've got one of the best pass defenses in the country. You've got a defensive line that can really pin their ears back and get after it when they know the situation. Uh, Florida State can do something similar against, against Louisville, build up a lead and force uh, Plummer to put the ball in the air. I think that plays into FSU's advantage. Yeah, I wish we had more time to talk to to Mike because, you know, they have like one solid receiver with Jamari Thrash, and then outside of that, it's like, who are they throwing to? I think I think Thrash more than doubles them on catches and yards. So it'll be interesting to see how much they decide to test Florida State secondary. That's why it's going to be huge to stop the run. Louisville averaging 183.5 rushing yards per game on offense. Obviously a really good running back in Jawar Jordan um, and some complimentary guys behind him. So Florida State's defense, which has struggled at times against the run, allowed, I think it was, I mean, we got it up here, 146 yards on the ground to UF. They're going to need to step up in this ACC championship game and lock down Louisville early. One thing I wanted to mention too, just out of this game alone, you know, Florida State not allowing some silly mistakes. And, you know, you saw definitely some uh, some situations where you're dealing with a delay of game. But outside of that, when you've got a UF player spitting on you and, you know, just all up in your face, we heard some things, too, from some of the players afterwards that there were some things happening. And that's kind of expected, you know, always with when you have a rivalry like this. But, you know, just looking at Keandre Jones, I wish we could have talked to him this week with the media just – him holding his composure and not wanting to do anything because I will say it, man, it, it, it's, it, it's easier to see on TV for that, not to have some kind of retaliation maybe, but for like, if you're in that situation, you've got someone spitting on you like that. It's hard not to want to swing at them. And definitely with the tenacity and all of, you know, it, it's football, it's going to get dirty, but that's just complete disrespect from a player that, you know, got ejected from the game, but had just, years ago that turns into a and turns into a mess between both teams and you probably lose the other player for sure uh, i think florida state and what they've been able to do in that locker room and hold a lot of accountability between their younger players to the older players from the older to the younger we saw that a lot of the uh, camps this offseason there's a lot of accountability with this team and it's going to help them a ton down the road when you're fighting for these championship rings it was huge. Two years ago when they came to Gainesville, this team melted down. They had a ton of turnovers, penalties, mistakes, and, I mean, just got caught up in the moment and, and lost it. And this time it looked early on like maybe we were going to see that same kind of thing, but then they rose up, came back from it, and won it. And we never really saw those silly mistakes, no silly penalties for the most part. Even, you know, Jerry Verse was saying in the press conference after that one of the UF players – 
he has all these mind games. He's talking the whole game. And when they finally got that stop late, he said one of the UF players was hitting his hand or hitting them or whatever. And he's like, whenever someone puts their hands on me, that's when I know I got you. And I just, he just walks away. Um, no penalty on Jared verse. And for the team also, they were pretty pissed off whenever Tate Rodemaker took that, that dirty headshot and they got over there pretty quickly, obviously, but for them not to respond enough to draw a personal foul and to just keep that penalty on UF and advance the ball, that's big in that moment as well for Florida State. So to kind of ditch some of that silliness that we've seen in the past, it's been huge for this program. Yeah, thank God for Norvell, because I fear what would have happened if someone spat on a player in the late Jimbo or the Taggart days. <laughs> there would have been a 20-minute brawl. Everyone's getting ejected. Norvell's just built such a great culture in that locker room and in, in that entire university. I, I, I can't credit him enough for the job he's done on that front. And also in this game, no turnovers for Florida State. So I'm um, a, a big factor on the road and a nine-point win that they're able to not turn it over. Did have the safety, obviously, but I guess they were kind of due for one after the Miami game. And not, not to pull too much, but that's going to be big this coming weekend because Louisville's a very opportunistic defense. They forced 19 turnovers. You know, plenty of games with three-plus turnovers for us. They're going to have to do that again this weekend. It's funny I actually have that stat pulled up, so I guess we can just talk about it. Like you said, Louisville, 19 turnovers forced on the season. 18 of those turnovers have come in their 10 victories. So in their two losses, only forced one combined turnover. Florida State on the season, five total turnovers, least in college football. Uh, If they can continue to do what they've done all year, take care of the ball, You've got to feel that's another thing, you know, going for State's favor here against Louisville. And like you look at their game against Notre Dame, a big reason they won that game is because they forced five turnovers. Even when they had, you know, one of their own, when you're when you forcing five turnovers on the other side, it's going to lead to a couple upset wins here and there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, got to got to play smart, play smart no matter what. And I think Florida State showed that they can certainly do that on the road in a more hostile environment. Let's be honest, Miami's. Uh, environment down south there's nothing intimidating about that so whenever you go down to at least Gainesville I will give it to them they 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 showed up and it was loud but uh for a lot of the guys not allowing penalties at uh, that's going to be huge moving forward in these games but yeah Keandre Jones shout out to him a lot better a man than me uh, shout out to coach Atkins for his coaching as well we know there's some stern coaching from Atkins so I would say I'd rather just go the safe route and not retaliate because it might get worse for you if it doesn't go in your favor and you're over here getting flagged on. I'll say it's not fun. Uh, Coach Atkins coaches really, really hard, and uh, there's a reason why he's been able to build a unit. But, um, yeah, Florida State, they did they did what they needed to do, and now they got to bring it up to Charlotte and play with, with, their, with their minds right. Uh, anything else from the uh, UF game? For you guys, uh, outside of Florida State just, winning there, still just undefeated. hate Florida. I can, yeah, we Dustin didn't get to hear. He still hasn't gone back to listen. I think he's scared for his ears. But that was the most f's I've ever heard from <laughs> Austin Norlike. That's the most I'll hear probably in my lifetime. Yeah, probably on this podcast, it's the most I'll ever hear. I guess last thing, I just think that's an underrated win when you're looking at Florida State's schedule. Obviously, Florida had had their struggles coming into this game, but they had been pretty good at home. Only one loss um, entering entering Saturday night in Gainesville. And um, 
it was just a big win for Florida State. Only seven point favorites, I think, or six and a half point favorites, whatever it was. Tate Rodemaker, his first start of the season, ninety thousand fans. Um, for Florida State to do that, I think there's been some talk around the country that that wasn't an impressive win, and we heard what people were saying last night uh, during the college football playoff rankings. I, I just see it the other way. I mean, that's huge for Florida yeah. State against a rival. Any kind of victory against a rival is huge. Look at what some of the other teams across the country, Alabama had to do, Georgia had to do. It wasn't just Florida State. Yeah, I will say we've seen already a lot of turnover on Florida side. You know, Corey Raymond, their defensive backs coach has already left. Their defensive tackle coach has already left. You know, Max Brown, the quarterback that we saw in that game, has already said he's going to be in the transfer portal, a receiver, a couple other players. There's already a lot of turnover in Gainesville, and I think they're just getting started. Yeah, it's got uh, the offseason discussion is going to be fun, but I'm so glad that we're still here in the season. We had hoped for this on this show for a very long time to be able to cover an ACC championship. This is our first time being credentialed covering one, literally actually having a website to cover one. So uh, get here first, but then it's going to be a fun, fun discussion on the recruiting trail, which and also, too, as Florida State has been kings in it, the transfer portal. And I think every FSU fan, yes, we're getting through the season now, but now you look at some of the big names that are entering that transfer portal and you know that Mike Norvell and that staff have a chance at getting those names any, and almost any, any one of them. Um, that's something that I think Florida state fans will be keeping an eye on going into uh, having some more names in the transfer portal and putting some on their Christmas wish list. So let's talk about the college football playoff rankings too, real quick, because Florida state, as said in the beginning of the show, notched back into that bracket. Here are the rankings. Georgia 1, Michigan 2, Washington 3, Florida State 4. And down below is Oregon at 5. Ohio State drops to 6 after a loss at Michigan without a Jim Harbaugh on the sideline for the Wolverines. And then 7 and 8 are Texas and Alabama, which Alabama, like you were just talking about, the wild weekend Wild weekend in college football rivalry. We were watching the game up there, Dustin. It was absolutely nuts. Uh, Alabama, Milrow connected with his wide receiver and keeping that game just skating by, skating by literally. But uh, thoughts on Florida State jumping back in that four? It's about, I mean, it's about what I expected after the Ohio State loss. I didn't think that they were going to move Oregon to four over Florida State because that's a scenario, well, not only because Florida State's still undefeated, but also because that's a scenario that's going to shake itself out this weekend whenever Washington and Oregon play each other. One team's going to be in, one team's going to be out. You you know, if Michigan beats Iowa, they're going to remain in the playoff. If Alabama beats Georgia, I'm kind of interested to see, depending on what other scenarios happen around the country. But, you know, you got to expect – that they're not going to get in if they beat Georgia and that maybe the SEC is left on the outside looking in. So like I said at the beginning of the show, Florida State sitting in that number four spot, if they win against number 15 Louisville on Saturday, add another quality victory to their resume, they're going to be in that top four somewhere. And then the discussion goes, are they going to somehow get to three rather than being at the four spot? This might be one of the few times I ever say this. My best friend back home will be happy. I'm rooting hard for Alabama uh, this weekend. Not only just to see a scenario where the SEC is left out of the college football playoff, I don't think anything would make me happier. But I honestly think if Washington were to win Friday night, I think Washington-Florida State at that 2-3 matchup would be a really good, really fun game. 
you know, it's strength against strength. He had Michael Penix against Florida State secondary. They don't really have a great running game, which fits in great with Florida State's defense. I think that'd be a very exciting scenario. Instead of, you know, they're, they're already tweeting these these lines out of uh, Florida State would already be a 14-point underdog to Georgia. I don't think you have that against Washington. Obviously, all hypotheticals, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, going into conference championship weekend, Florida State fans need to keep an eye on the other games going on uh, throughout the day for that afternoon. But yeah, I think, you know, Oregon sitting there, there was a question here uh, from Matthew on Facebook asking, do you guys think Oregon will beat Washington this go around? I personally think so. I think they'll, they would win that game. Um, you know, I think Oregon and what Dan Lanning has been able to do in just such an early tenure at Oregon, it's been super impressive. But I, I think they've got things clicking in the right cylinders. And to have that rematch against Washington, I think that went, they win that one. I might be wrong. I think Oregon is going to handle Washington this time around. The Huskies have, haven't been playing too well as of late. Oregon has been pretty consistent throughout the year and, and really only lost that last matchup because of a couple missed fourth downs that – were the right decision in the moment, just didn't go their way. So I think Oregon's the better team, and you know this is Bo Nix's potential Heisman moment. Yeah, I agree. As much as as much as I think we match up better with Washington, I think Oregon wins this game by 17 points. I think they're gonna be super super motivated from that first Washington loss. And Washington's just been they've been winning like Florida State has, but they have come awfully close to not winning. So I think it catches up to them this Friday night. What are y'all's thoughts on Alabama and Georgia? Does it actually happen where you see Alabama beat Georgia or does Georgia look too good? They're clicking Brock Bowers is Brock Bowers, and when he's fully healthy, it's kind of unstoppable at times. The tough the tough game to predict. Uh whichever way it goes, man, it's it's gonna be a good one. I don't think Georgia is unbeatable. I think they're maybe a step down from where they've been the last two years as far as winning the national championship. Still a very good football team, but definitely um, some kinks in the armor that Alabama can take advantage of. And this seems like the kind of game that Nick Saban goes and wins for some reason. I know we all talked about the the Georgia-Georgia Tech game, how that was much closer than anticipated. Georgia didn't play Brock Bowers or Ladd McConkey. You know, I, I'm sure Bowers will be playing this Saturday. I'm not too sure about McConkey. I haven't seen anything. I also haven't looked for it, to be quite fair. Um, I, I think Georgia just kind of has Alabama's number recently. Maybe I'm wrong, but it, it's hard to not pick Georgia in this scenario. As much or as as well as Alabama's played down the stretch, you know, they started off super sloppy. Jalen Milrow's really turned a corner. He's become a pretty good quarterback. And, you know, maybe he gives Georgia some fits on some drives, but I just think Georgia's too motivated. Yep, so this is what it's set at right now. But, yeah, we put out a couple of pieces at nolgamedia.com hearing from some ESPN analyst co-hosts. Kirk Herbstreet uh, gave his take as well. It's it's uh, He's kind of switched up a couple times throughout the season. But for, for Florida State sticking, and if they can, 13-0 and undefeated, getting it done in Charlotte, that should guarantee you a pit to the college football playoff. There's definitely no – it would be silly discussions to have that any further. Um, but I think most of this as uh, being around sports media, you got to keep the ratings up, got to keep people watching, got to have something to talk about. Um, but 
Uh, I think they just kind of like the nitpick with Florida State fans a tiny bit it's, because it's man, also one of those social media engagement. FSU Twitter is has nothing like anything else. That's what I say. These these talking heads are paid to talk, and you know when they're talking about Florida State potentially missing it, it's going to get a lot of talking from everybody else. That's just how it always is and always will be until fans learn. Uh, now let me just avoid that. Let me ignore it. Give me uh, Iowa over Michigan. I would laugh. Let's get freaky. I, and I want it to be I want it to be stupid, like a five to three kind of game. <laughs> yeah, Iowa ain't scoring. Uh but yeah. Now let's move on to uh game week, gentlemen, because we have some basketball here at the end as well to go over. But uh let's talk about uh Florida State versus Louisville. <laughs> I'm excited to be up there in your hometown, VZ. It's gonna be fun. Thank you yeah. for the invite and being our Uber Is once it- we arrive. Is it your hometown? No, I was I was born and raised in Duval County. But it's where I live now. You know, everyone's welcome. Everyone's welcome to the Queen City. You know, welcome to Charlotte. Everybody that's that's listening and coming to the game. I hope you enjoy the weekend, even though it's probably gonna be cold and rainy on Saturday. Mm. And I'll be in Chapel Hill for twenty four hours. So uh, it should be an interesting Uh. weekend. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, we'll see if we even see VZ. You, you're going to do a lot of traveling on literally Saturday because uh, and Friday. Um, yeah, Friday I'm going to try and do some of the media stuff, but you know the ACC has been wishy-washy with the with some of the press conferences and open no walkthrough way, right? times. You know, it's just just typical with this conference. And then you know after that I'll drive over to the the Tri City region, watch Florida State soccer in the College Cup. And then live next, updates, live, live updates, and then, follow VZ on Twitter. And then next afternoon, I'll be FSU at UNC basketball. Really looking forward to that. It's always a special experience in the Dean Dome. And then right after that, driving back down to Charlotte for the ACC championship. It's going to be a uh, fun 26 hours or so. Nice. I'll, I'll be at the hotel bar. No. <laughs> oh, damn. Uh, yeah, VZ, I'll be <laughs> Uh, you kind of expect what I'll be. So I don't yeah. think there needs to be any more explanation there. Who's paying this guy, man? Got him jumping around everywhere, left and right. It's not you. Yeah, someone's paying. So I don't know. Someone's got to pay. <laughs> as long as our... As Maybe long as some don't... kind of per diem or something, Logan? That's yeah, something. I'll figure something out. Maybe a meal or two. Venmo, something like that. But uh, yeah, looking forward to being up there. This is my first time up in Charlotte. I've been to an ACC championship before, though. Uh, I was really young, but it was back when I was in Tampa. So I saw a conversation too on Twitter between some fans and, you know, a lot of them wanting to have the ACC championship back down here in Tampa. I'm all for it, just right across the bridge for me. But uh, nonetheless, going up to Charlotte, I think it'll be a, a really cool view from the press box area and being able to look down and uh, see what should be, I think, a pretty, pretty close matchup. I'm just going to say it right now. Um, there's a lot of, a lot of storylines going into it. You've got a guy with Tate Rodemaker that had his first real true or second start, but in, in that kind of environment, be able to do what it was needed to be done to come away with a win. Uh, and then like, like what Matt was telling us earlier about uh, Jack Plummer, he's going to have to play one of those games where he plays good in order for Louisville to stay in this and, and compete with Florida State's defense to put up points on the board. Uh, gentlemen, what are y'all looking into with this game? We've kind of been talking about it the last couple of weeks since we knew the Cardinals would get to this point, but 
They've kept things close the last couple of weeks, of course, losing to Kentucky, but kept it close with Miami the week before. Uh, what are y'all expecting on Saturday night? I'm looking at Louisville's defense going into this matchup. Um, one of 12 teams in the country that are allowing less than 100 rushing yards per game. And we kind of talked about it earlier, but going into this one, you got to expect Florida State. And when you add in the weather forecast of pretty cold and potentially raining as well, you've got to imagine there's going to be a lot of running the ball for the Seminoles. Trey Benson, Lawrence Toafili, maybe some Rodney Hill sprinkled in. Uh, the Seminoles are going to try and pound the rock against this Louisville defense, and they've been pretty stout for the majority of the year. Now have, as we mentioned whenever Matt was on the show, have allowed 31 and 38 points the last two weeks and have had some struggles. So Florida State, they've got to take advantage – well, not take advantage, but really try and win that matchup there, find success on the ground, and you know not have to rely on Tate Rodemaker going out there and putting up 300 yards. I'll just expand on that. I think I'm watching the running game on both sides because we look at the games that Louisville's either lost or been in close contests. The running game hasn't been there as much as it's been in the other games. You look at the NC State game, they won it 13 to 10. But, you know, that's a low score for what Louisville's been putting up all year. They averaged less than one yard per carry. At Pitt, they averaged less than three yards per carry. Last week against Kentucky, less than four yards per carry. Every other game, they're well above four and even into the five, sixes, and sevens. They average about five yards per carry on, on the season. You know, Florida State, as we talked about, they haven't been the greatest rushing defense. They get beat at times, and we saw it last week against Florida how, you know, they were using wide receivers in motion to, to give the safeties and linebackers some eye candy. I wouldn't be surprised to see some of that with Louisville. Try and distract the defense as much as possible and then try and get those five and six yards per carry. And like you said, it's going to be likely cold and rainy. The, the running game is going to really, really matter in this game. Yep, and you look at Florida State's linebacker room, and someone that's had a stellar, stellar season has been Kalen Deloach, and you know the ACC probably need to bring it up here, but first team, second team, third team, honorable mention, all that kind of stuff came out. Uh, Jordan Travis being named ACC Player of the Year, and also to Offensive Player of the Year. Shout out to him, absolutely deserves it. But just specifically though, Kalen Deloach, who was it tweeting? Both y'all were tweeting about him not getting anything for defensive player of the year. One vote. One One vote for defensive player of the year. For reference, Conrad Hussey got more votes for defensive rookie of the year than Kalen Deloach did for defensive player of the year. This isn't a diss on Hussey, but I think we can all agree Ruben Bain absolutely deserved that. He Hmm. could have won that unanimously and none of us would have disagreed. I think Kalen Deloach at least should have been the argument for ACC defensive player of the year where – Peyton Wilson dominated the vote, and he had 58 of the possible 64 votes. And at the minimum, just received more love because he's the he's been the most dominant player on one of the best defenses in the country for the top team in the ACC. And, I mean, whenever Florida State's needed him, Kalen Deloach has stepped up and made a huge play, you know, whether it's that forced fumble and touchdown against Clemson, the game-sealing interception the other night and his final chance to play against UF, but snubbed for real. Also, seven sacks as an off-ball linebacker is yeah borderline absurd. Absolutely ridiculous, man. He's had a stellar, stellar season, and I'm going to be excited for him whenever he moves on into the NFL, uh, which organization is going to pick him up because just 
locker room guy as well. Just someone that stuck around with the program and is believed in getting developed by uh, with sticking with Randy Shannon too in that room. But shout out to Kalen Deloach. But first team, Jordan Travis, Keon Coleman. We're talking the ACC first team. Jordan Travis, Keon Coleman, all purpose as well. Keon Coleman. And punt returner. Yeah, and and punt returner there at the bottom of specialist. Uh, Let me share the screen too because there's there's a lot of names in here. This might take a second. 25 of them. Yeah, the most in program history. School record. record. Yep. Uh, Dimitri Emanuel at offensive guard, offensive tackle, Darius Washington getting a lot of love there as he should. Uh, He's been really reliable for Florida State on the offensive line. Then Jared Verst, defensive end. Kalen, like we were talking about, at linebacker for the first team. Any any misses here, or do you think this is accurate? Um, Maybe not as much as a miss. I was surprised to see Dimitri Emanuel be first team, I'll be honest. Yeah, a, a tiny bit there. Um, and honestly, I, I'm not. I'm not dissing him. I just. I don't know if he was first team All ACC good this year. I think Darius absolutely was. He was so big for Florida State's offensive line, just playing wherever wherever he was needed. Yeah, I, I guess you could. I wish you know it's. It's because he's a hybrid guy, Darius Washington, offensive tackle, but he's had to step into that center position whenever Marie Smith has been dinged up at times, and he just steps in at guard uh, as well. But, you know, at tackle, he's been nice. But, you know, he's just – I wish he could be an all-purpose offensive lineman. Yeah, or just – why, why even specify position? Just make it OL. Just make it offensive lineman. They're trying to go NFL-esque. And Keon Coleman, the first uh, player in school history to be named at three different – spots on the all ACC team. I mean, just crazy. And we, we kind of knew it as soon as he transferred to Florida state, but to actually see it has um, been something special to watch throughout this 2023 season. You got to remember Keon Coleman had never returned a punt during his college career before he arrived in Tallahassee. And a couple months later, he's first team all ACC punt returner. I mean, just (laughs) speaks to the guy's ability. Also, Keon Coleman has many all ACC selections as the entire Miami football team. All so, right. Just saying. <laughs> and while, you, while you're on this screen on the second team, how is Alex Mastromoto not first team punter? That's I mean, a he's, good he's, question. He's a finalist for the Ray Guy Award and the only yeah. ACC punter there, but he's second team all ACC. How does that make sense? But continue. That's a good point. <laughs> but yeah, second team here, all ACC. Trey Benson taking up the running back spot, Jaheim Bell. Tight end Braden Fisk and Joshua Farmer in there at defensive tackle. Renardo Green at the cornerback position, like you're saying there. Punter Alex Mastromano from Australia. Renardo was in line to be first team there for a while, and I think him allowing a couple touchdowns these last couple of games has has slipped him down the board a little bit. Yeah. Otherwise, I don't really have any arguments. Third team here. And I'm wondering if you guys would have expected this coming into the season, but seeing Johnny Wilson at the third team, obviously dealing with injuries throughout the season kind of hurt him in this maybe situation. But Johnny Wilson, third team at wide receiver, Tatum Bethune taking linebacker spot there, Cheyenne Brown and Ryan Fitzgerald getting some love as well. Shout out to Ryan as he really does deserve it. He's stayed consistent for the Seminoles throughout the season, just having one miss. Obviously, we didn't expect Johnny to get third team all ACC. I, think, I, sure, I don't know. I think Wait, look at VZ. VZ's going to buy an argument like this. No, no, no. I, th- I think you'd make the argument if Johnny was healthy all year, he's first team instead of Keon. At least that receiver. 
You don't think oh. they both would have made first team? I just the way Florida State's been really targeting Johnny Wilson down the stretch, I think that might have put him over the top. Maybe they both do, but it's it's rare you see two receivers from the same team make all ACC first team. For sure. But like Logan said, huge for uh, Ryan Ryan Fitzgerald to bounce back. I mean, I think at at some point last year, we all thought, you know, his time at Florida State may be over following the year. But the Seminoles stuck with him, rebuilt his confidence. And just to see him come back out and have this stretch throughout the 2023 season, um, prove a lot of the noise wrong, you know, on, on social media and stuff. Huge for Ryan Fitzgerald. And then over to the honorable mentions, got a pair of offensive linemen, Casey Roddick, Maurice Smith in there. Shout out to Smith. Mo deserves a lot more credit, too, on this season and its success, being able to just gut it out and play, not being fully healthy. Patrick Payton at defensive end, which I think is a slide there, slide there on Pat Payton. I think he deserves to be up more than he is. And a DJ Lundy linebacker, Jarian Jones, cornerback, central Cypress. That's the one. Jarian should have been at least. Jarian's really messed up as well. He should have been at least third team. I think he should have been on the second team, honestly. I think the biggest thing with Pat Payton is I don't think he really had the numbers to be, you know, in the all-ACC teams. We all know his impact, but, you know, 11 tackles for loss, five sacks. It's not the the most amount of production you're going to see out of a defensive end. Nine pass deflections. Mm-hmm. Can't sure. miss those. Sure. Look at that. But Jarian, another another big snub, definitely deserved to be, I think, yeah. second team all ACC. He's been, and that's I think that's the reason he's on honorable mention is he just locks people down. He doesn't get a ton of targets, doesn't get a ton of looks throughout games, but that just speaks to how good he's been throughout this season. He's another guy. You know, there were struggles throughout his early tenure at Florida State, and to see his development and the way he's playing now. It's just another testament to not only his hard work, but also how you know players get developed at Florida State. Yeah, he's been unbelievable this season. I think it was even Greg Reed that called him out and said, you know, this is going to be a guy that that's going to get drafted. I'm trying to check PFF real quick. He's got he's, really good numbers. It's insane. 216, you know, coverage snaps. And he's been targeted 27 times. So about 10% of the time he's been targeted. He's just been blanketing receivers. And even that that pass that Max Brown threw, you know, Jerrion had a great coverage on that corner route. Just a perfect ball by Max Brown. It's really hard to do any better than Jerrion did. And he's at his best whenever Florida State's playing these rivals. Xavier Restrepo mm-hmm. didn't even hear about him. I mean, did he play for Miami in that in that game? And then you go to Saturday night, Ricky Pearsall finishes with one catch, and even that came against uh, Azari Thomas on an an extremely tough ball for him to bring down. So really, really tough guy and and great at defending there in the slot. And looking at it too, just in the honorable mentions, but you know, you have three defensive backs in there uh, total. Florida State, Coach Sertan in his first season, First season, man, of this magnitude on a college level is really, really impressive. Um, and uh, as you have, I, I already want to kind of get into, I'm not usually this excited about, you know, transfer portal talk and recruiting stuff, but with the amount of talent that Coach Sertan is bringing in, you you can't ignore what, you know, what kind of talent is, is about to join that defensive backfield it's it's nasty and there's still some youngsters too that we saw coming into some games guys this year 
that shows some really nice promise as well. So, whoo, uh, Sertan's got a whole squad. I think of that like Coach Atkins. He's, he's, he's got some talent. He's got some depth. And, and it's impressive. Definitely, you know, Conrad Hussey. I think Quintarius Jones is going to be nice. Like, I can just keep going on and on, man. It's going to be a stacked squad going into 2024. The best is yet to come because if you really think about it, Sertan didn't recruit any of these current players at Florida State. The only guy in that defensive backfield that arrived after – well, no, I guess I guess Ventrell Cypress was there before um, Sertan was hired as well. So, I mean, mm-hmm. literally, this this incoming crop of defensive backs is the first players that he's actually recruited um, to Tallahassee, and it's a very talented prep group of guys as well. Um, K.J. Bolden, Charles Lester, Jamari Howard, Ricky Knight, probably going to try and add another one, maybe two in there. Uh some real talent in that defensive backfield. You're going to lose some experience after this 2023 season, but a lot of young and promising talent that, I mean, could be elite in the near future. Yeah, just an incredible turnaround from last season, really. I mean, the, the defensive backfield was, wasn't the best last year. They've been absolutely locked down this year. The only, the only thing we want to see them is take that next step is get those interceptions. I mean – Sertan, you had 37 career interceptions in the NFL. Teach these guys to catch the ball, turn their head around. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I think what they're going to have to do is coach Sertan last a good amount of years. Let's say he has a longer tenure in Tallahassee. Man, I think they're going to have to run back that Texas A&M graphic and, and just so to <laughs> maybe just a DBU graphic alone show some of these guys getting paid in the NFL. <laughs> Because Giants going to get drafted, you know, he he went from a player that you know I think maybe would have potentially got a chance. It would have to be it had to be late in that draft, but now I think he's pushed himself into being a contender in this upcoming 2024 NFL draft, which is really exciting for him. Someone that stuck around and kind of moved around, and there was some talk about him, you know, switching positions and such, and even going on the offense and wide receiver like he played in high school. Just uh, and he and he stood on business too, and he's told us that to the media as well. And I I respect him, man. He he holds on to his words, and uh, he, he's proved himself to be a really good defensive back on the top in the ACC. Uh, there's a ten dollar bomb here, real quick, from Cdell two three one on YouTube, uh, giving uh, some thoughts on the national media and the rest of the college football world hating against Florida State. Uh, he's going with a score prediction of a Florida State 27, Louisville 17. He said the whole world's against us, it seems. They talked great about Michigan after they got pummeled by TCU, the same TCU that got drugged by 58 by UGA and Georgia Bulldogs. Um, but, yeah, you know, it does feel that way. It seems to be back on track to where Florida State kind of was in that 2012, 2013 14, 15 range where you've got all that talent and you're expected to deliver. And, you know, if you don't beat the crap out of teams, then you're not, you know, you shouldn't go all the way like some other conference teams in the big 10 and also in the sec. But uh, I I think it's hard to really hate on Florida state as much. I mean, except for FSU Twitter and we know that, but to me, I think Mike Norvell has brought a lot of class to this program and I think just college football fans in general, uh, I think they've respected the literal climb that Mike has had to put into this program with effort wise. And it's kind of hard to, 
hard to hate on him. Jimbo, I can understand. Jimbo's Jimbo, Jimbo, and he's vulnerable for that kind of stuff to maybe catch some heat here and there. But uh, Mike Norvell has been a has been a pla- classy head coach for Florida State in a lot of avenues, and um, it's uh, I, don't, I don't think FSU's hated that much. But still, it's Florida State. You know, you're, you're going to get some heat, and this is what the national media likes to do when it stirs up because it knows Florida State fans, like I said earlier in the show, are going to engage and chit chat and at Kirk Herb Street and even outlets, you know, just tweeting at them and showing their opinions. But I don't know. Just got to make it to Sunday at noon with a Florida State win. <laughs> yeah. Just got to make it there. Just get there. A couple more days. Game. Yeah. Um, but yeah, let's jump in, jump into any kind of, uh, you know, I don't know if y'all want to jump into score predictions right now. I mean, um, we're at an hour mark. We still got basketball to talk about, but I've kind of had my score in mind all day today. I've got to write my score prediction up for DLU tomorrow, but anything, any last words, because I'm just wondering if everybody's going to stick and hold hands on this. I feel like you can't, you can't break the code here. You can't break what we've put together at the, yeah, during ho- the off season. Hopefully Dustin did already look at my game preview and take my score prediction from that. I have not looked at your game preview. Okay, good. <laughs> oh, yeah. Just had to be sure. No interest. <laughs> Damn. Jeez. God. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> dang. Um, but just key for me, I'll just give one key, and maybe we can uh, jump into score prediction after that. But key to me, affect Plummer, get back there. I think Florida State did a really good job scripting on defensive on the defensive side of the ball with Adam Fuller getting back there to the backfield, and it says a lot, too, about the interior that Florida State was able to bring. Going to have to have another uh, full, full energy Jared Verse on Saturday night. I think that plays a big factor as well. Um, and Pat, Pat, Pat Payton be Pat Payton. Gilbert Edmond, whenever he's able to come in, take advantage of those opportunities as well. I thought he's looked good for what he's uh, been given those opportunities here and there. But uh, affecting affecting Plummer and, and Florida State doing, if they do what they did defensively um, and stay on rhythm to begin games, don't allow Louisville to score too many points there early because we know Florida State's kind of been vulnerable to begin games at times. Um, if they're able to limit uh, Jack there. I think the Seminoles will be just, just fine. Um, and Rodemaker, you know, just, just stay composed and understand too, hopefully looking at film, understanding where some of that pressure is coming from, but that offensive line is going to have to take another big step after uh, a physical game in Gainesville. You kind of said it for me, um, Florida state needs to start a lot faster than they did in Gainesville. Louisville has scored on nine of its first 12 possessions, has 97 total points in the first quarter this season. And uh, on the other side of the ball, has only surrendered 21 points in the first quarter. So this is a team that gets off to fast and successful starts. Logan, you said it, Florida State, they've had some sluggish and slow starts this year and had to really climb out of um, deficits at times that, that we've seen throughout the season. So in this one, after a very slow start last week, Florida State needs to be awake out of the gate, come out and, you know, be ready to go toe-to-toe with Louisville. Yeah, I don't I don't really have any disagreements, but I, th- I think part of it is, you know, Florida State is what is what they are at this point. I don't know if we can expect them to, to finally switch things around and have a great first quarter and, and really win that first half. They just really haven't been that since, well, really all year. 
<laughs> if we think about it. Um, but the, like the Duke game, they started slow. The Clemson game, they started slow. They're down at half against LSU, down at half against Florida. It's just kind of how this team's been as they feel their way into the game and, and let the let the game go from there. Like I talked about earlier, it's going to come down to the running game, you know, limiting Jawar Jordan, even Jack Plummer as a runner occasionally, and then winning the turnover battle. As long as they do those, I, I think Louisville secondary is weak enough for Florida State to take advantage of it on the other end when they want to take those shots. Let's do it. Score predictions, gentlemen. Let's just let's get it done. Get it is done. It, is it back to me in my home in my hometown? I think it's me. Three, six. You went nine, you went last week. Well. You went last week. Thirteen. Are you before me or after me, Austin? I'm pretty sure I'm before you. Well then maybe yeah, maybe it, I'm last. Maybe. It must be yeah. you. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's gonna in be your cool. hometown. Yeah, it's gonna be cold and rainy, you know. We're, we're really putting it on for you guys, for you Floridians coming up to North Carolina, making sure you never want to come back here. Um, it's going to be kind of, it's going to be kind of an ugly game. I think some possessions are going to be going, what the hell is happening? Um, I think it's going to be pretty low scoring, but I've got Florida State still winning 24 to 20. Yeah, it's a big one for Florida State going into the ACC championship for the first time in nine years, first time under Mike Norvell. And, just been impressive to watch this season unfold after the last couple of years and just the linear progression year by year this team has made. And it feels like they're built for this moment. Um, and Florida State, you know, as long as they don't turn the ball over, we've kind of talked about the keys here, but they can continue to hold on to the ball, um, stop Louisville's rushing attack, are able to run the ball themselves. You've got to feel good about the Seminoles' chances. And they're going to come into this game motivated. I mean, we all know – FSU is 60 minutes away from the college football playoff. If they come out and execute on Saturday night in Charlotte, doesn't matter if it's a one-point, two-point win, any kind of win on that board, they are going to the college football playoff. I think you're going to see a very focused and well-executing Florida State team. It's still going to be a battle because this is a, this is a very good Louisville team as well and very well-coached and have some talent. But in the end, I think Florida State is going to grind and grit this one out and go on FSU 27, Louisville 21. Mm, man, they're close. All one score games so far from y'all's predictions. Um, yeah, y'all have said it all practically. That's what you get whenever you're last year. But mainly I'm looking at Florida State. And then just one thing that stands out to me is that this team, like talked about earlier in the show, a lot, a lot of not letting things get into their head. And I think maybe a little bit there, we saw a sign of it just off the, off the little bit of that UF game. But things started clicking and things started moving. And I think for Florida State at this at this neutral site game, a lot of the Florida State fan base being up there, already got their tickets, going to be up there all weekend. I, You know, Florida State has done a good job in impressing us on the road in these neutral site games. I go back to maybe this Louisville game from two years ago when they were in New Orleans. This team finds different ways to win, and uh, they've got the talent, and it's just going to come down to just execution and playing smart and not allowing stupid penalties. Florida State, 24, Louisville, 21. And we're headed to either Cali or headed to NOLA again, which is a really scary place for me after the last time we were there two years ago. <laughs> I'd love to go back. I don't know about you, but I, I, I love New Orleans. I mean, I do want to go back, but I also want to <laughs> I know where I'm at. Yeah, I, I want to know where I'm at, how I got back, and 
Th- not this time to have a complete severe hangover. Th- this time, Dustin day. can deal with a drunk a drunk Logan instead of me. <laughs> I don't think he's going to deal with it. <laughs> I sadly don't. I sadly don't. It would be fun. Where would y'all preferably? Not, no, actually, no. We don't deserve to talk about that yet. We got to get through this Saturday yeah. night game. Don't look too far ahead. We're getting a little greedy. Talk about. Well, let's wait till the instant reaction for something like that. Yep. Yeah, we'll do that from inside Bank of America Stadium. Mm-hmm. Probably raining on us, and we're gonna have to figure out where to get we'll, Wi-Fi. And, we'll do it inside. Yeah, we'll say screw you. Get out of our. Get out of the box. We're coming in. We're gonna do our instant reaction. Uh, let's talk some basketball as we're just less than an hour, or I'm out a little over an hour from tip-off between the Georgia Bulldogs and Florida State. VZ. I'm surprised you didn't want to fly down and go to that game. I thought about it. I honestly did. Uh, wow. if, if Georgia was a better basketball team, I might have thought about it. But Georgia just hasn't really played well so far this year. I don't know how many people read my preview. It's probably about 60 people. Um, but Georgia's lost who they're supposed to lose to, and they've won, and they've beaten who they're supposed to beat. So they, they're not a they're not a good basketball team. I'm going to just keep it, keep it blunt. They've got two guys you got to worry about on the perimeter, and that's Abdul Rahim the son of NBA All-Star Sharif Abdurrahim and Noah Thomason, their their transfer guard from Niagara. After that, it gets rough behind the three-point line. Those who shoot 37%, the rest of the team shoots about 24 26%. It's, it's not a good three-point shooting team. If they're not making their twos, the, they really can't get any offense. And also, it's Mike White. Florida State and Leonard Hamilton know how to play Mike White, I think. Mike White is one in seven all time against Florida State, maybe one in six, something like that. Uh, either way, I I don't expect Georgia to be. I don't expect Georgia to win. I think there's even a pretty decent chance that Georgia gets boat raced in this game. Um, but it'd be crazy yeah. to predict, you know, Florida State to be. Oh yeah, they're going to win by twenty this game. Um, Cam Corn, it's it's looking like he won't play in this game due to a toe injury from. Last week's game against Colorado, they haven't made any official word, but that's just my guess is he won't play. But on the flip side, it does look like Jalen Ganey will finally make his Florida State debut tonight against Georgia, and they're going to need him. Um, I'm really looking forward to seeing him on the court. I'm really looking forward to see this team back on the court in general. Be huge if they can finally get Jalen Ganey out there. Been waiting over a year to see him make his debut in Garnet and Gold, and you know he would change some of those rebounding struggles that the Seminoles have had at times and this is also a little bit of a homecoming uh maybe not at this not in the same sport but i'm sure kaylin deloach will be in the stands tonight his brother jalen deloach plays for georgia and you know that's just an exciting fact for sure and i'm sure jalen's going to try to make a big impact because you know he wanted florida state to recruit him he wanted to play at the same school as his brother florida state ends up deciding to go with the other vcu transfer and jameer Watkins and I'd say it's worked out so far for Florida State taking Jimmy Watkins. He's been pretty good. Um, But either way, they're going to need Jalen Ganey for Saturday at worst case, and hopefully Cam Corn's back too against UNC and Armando Baycott. Because right now they're up 59 to 39, about to go into halftime against Tennessee. And Tennessee's a good basketball team. Um, Hmm. So they're going to need him this Saturday. I'm looking forward to being at that game as well. But. Yeah, I, I, I'm. It's weird being excited about Florida State basketball again. They've got they've got some talent. They're playing well. They're playing cohesive. Jalen Warley's played arguably the best game of his life last Tuesday against Colorado. We'll see if that continues. But I'm expecting big things from the Noles tonight at 
nine fifteen or nine twenty, whenever tip tip off is. Dustin will be there to get that get that recap out, right? Yeah, I thought about it, but uh, wild. I'm just gonna stay home tonight, but wild. I got a I got an early early flight to Charlotte to cover ten uh, o'clock. No, hardly got to get to the airport these days. At, at the Tallahassee, Tallahassee Airport, you can oh get there God. 45 minutes before and still be 30 <laughs> minutes early to the plane. <laughs> I'm no, I can seriously see times. Dustin be in there two hours, maybe before. I could maybe potentially see it. it, I don't it want to get a wreck on I-10. When you're flying back and you're flying out of Charlotte, yeah, you'll need to be there two hours before. When you're flying out of Tallahassee, you can pull up as the plane is boarding. Uh, It'd be fine. My so flight at Charlotte's Charlotte. at 6 a.m., so I don't know if there will be any uh, people in line. Um, no, there will you be. Might not be a, you might not be. You might not be. I was just thinking that. You might not be sleeping after the game does. I'm definitely not sleeping. <laughs> I'm loading up. Yeah, I don't mind picking you all up from the airport, but I'm not I'm not taking you at 6 a.m. You can get over oh, for that man. one. Oh, man. What the frick, man? You're an awful person. Be our personal, I, live, you hate I, us. I live 30 minutes from downtown. That's just not happening. Not to ruin time. the good basketball vibes, but the last time you went to UNC, was it, was it not, not pretty that twenty to one start game? Yeah, it was, it was worse than that. I think it was twenty four to one. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was. It was not a fun time. The last time I was in the Dean Dome, place is surprisingly kind of a dump. Um, Damn, in a good way. A no, it's like what? How could that be? In a good way. It, it, it's one of those like in a good way. It's one of those that, <laughs> like the, the the tiles at the top of the Dean Dome are starting to like fall apart a little bit. You know Damn. they stick they stick the media in the upper corner, and that's a big arena. Like there's no reason media needs to be on the second level, but I, I you know, damn, it's, it's still very. So they need a donation. They need a donation from Michael Jordan. Is what I'm hearing. Still, just a very storied arena, very storied program. You know, they're both there and and Cameron Indoors. It's always a pleasure to go there. Got to hope Florida State plays better in that hostile environment than when they played at UF a couple of weeks ago. Because I I don't think they could play worse. I'm gonna be honest. Plus, I've I, well, all at. I'm all I'm hoping is they play better than they did there. I think that was two years ago. I'm pretty sure that was Cam Fletcher's first year because I just remember watching him off the ball going, what is he doing? Um, that That's all I'm hoping for. Just be more competitive than two years ago. It's hard to be less competitive than 24-1 out the gate. My recap was written by halftime. How much um, better is Colorado – or how much better is North Carolina than Colorado? I, I've said I'm really not that high in North Carolina, but when they're beating Tennessee by – oh, now it's 22 at halftime, 61-39. to 39. Uh, is it at home? Yeah, it's in the, it's in the Dean Dome. You know that that's always mm. historic. It's always historically a really tough play for Florida State. You know, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but they can't have won at in Chapel Hill more than a handful of times. It's just it's one of those buildings that's really hard for for teams to come in and win at. So we'll see if they're up to the challenge on Saturday. This team's really competitive, really, really, really competitive, and we'll see. It'd be it's a heck of a it'd be a heck of a win, but. If they can at least just keep it competitive and close, that would also show progress. Yeah, hundred percent. Also, so. we have to say Jameer Watkins won ACC Co-Player of the Week last week with RJ Davis. First time someone at Florida State's won ACC Player of the Week since Raekwon Gray in twenty twenty one. Florida mm. State's receiving AP votes again. I think they were thirty fifth wow. with eight with eight votes. 
No, th- things are looking up. Getting me scared about Saturday, VZ. <laughs> if Florida State wins on Saturday, everyone's going to go, oh, God, no, what's going to happen tonight? <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. Don't you dare do that, Dustin. Dust, Austin. Don't you dare. Leonard, know your place. It's all right. Keep it close. Keep it close. Don't, don't have to win it. Just keep it close. <laughs> I mean, I prefer, if you, I prefer if you win it. Whoa. There's no... There's no reason Florida State can't win all three of the events I'm going to this weekend. Uh, let's, see, let's see it happen. If it had to be one, it had to be one. You know. I don't know. Come on, Lenny. Don't, don't, you don't have to do it like that. Just keep it close. Keep it close. Hopefully they lose a soccer game then. I don't know. Damn, geez. No, come Listen, on. Not a national title. <laughs> all, all, all I'm saying is Florida, Florida State soccer is undefeated to this point. I don't know if they're going to lose. <laughs> When you okay. show up, all bets are off. I went yeah. to a t- so we... I went to a lot of soccer games in college. I don't think we ever lost when I went to the game. So why'd you go? You know, good team. Oh, I do. There you good. go. Good do. team. Good team. Good team. Yep. Yep. Good teams. Um, you bring your binoculars. You don't need it. Uh-oh. Gotcha. You are close up to. I've been to a couple of them. Shout out to. FSU soccer, best of luck too. Let's hope we didn't just jinx all of that. Hopefully yeah, I, I, feel, I, really I would bad. feel bad. I would feel bad. Yeah, it's not been a great weekend. Just PR things for, for a lot of <laughs> things. But anyways, at least we're not AI. We're here. We're real. Logan, Dustin, VZ. This is real stuff. But appreciate everybody coming on here with us this evening for our ACC championship preview. We'll all be up there to cover Florida State versus Louisville. So we will have an instant reaction on site. Might be quite a long while. I'm expecting definitely if it goes in Florida State's favor after the press conference duties. But uh, we'll make sure to jump on here with you guys and give us our thoughts on an early probably Sunday morning around midnight or later. Who knows? But might be a wet one. Yeah, it might be a little wet, so make sure you bring your poncho. And I know a lot of FSU fans are heading up there, so safe travels. Uh, and then, yeah, keep an eye out. VZ has got coverage for us on basketball side. They're facing off against Georgia, so keep an eye out, eye out on that. And then also Saturday, he'll be there in Chapel Hill. So make sure you're staying tuned to some basketball coverage because we're kind of transitioning into that stage. But, you know, still need Florida State. And Leonard Hamilton, uh, you know, keep it tight there. And Chapel Hill don't need to do anything too crazy. But as always, thanks for listening. You can listen to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify. If you're on YouTube right now, hit that like button. Uh, make sure you hit subscribe so you get notified every time we release a new episode. And we will talk to you guys next or this upcoming Saturday. And then we'll be back here live next Wednesday at 7 o'clock. So everybody have a great weekend. Safe travels to Charlotte. Not the silk word, all the 17, 5, same color.